Good morning, Redemption. I'm excited about Easter, Good Friday, being together for that this upcoming week. Ursula Merckx, she was admitted to the clinic with a puzzling condition. She had complained of back pain, of dizziness, of headaches that were so severe she could no longer continue her work as a seamstress. The doctor, Dr. Gabriel Anton, was uh, confused. She explained she could see uh, just fine, uh, but he would place some objects in front of her, such as a, a pair of scissors, red ribbon, and she would say, I, I can see them just fine, but I, I can't name them. She wasn't able to name them or remember what they were called. He thought, hmm, maybe it's something linguistically going on in her brain. So they did some tests and some research, and they found it was puzzling. She was uh, unable to locate the glass of water near her bed. She would bump into her bed frame. She was unable to find the front door leading out of her room, and yet she insisted that she could see just fine. This was a mysterious case, as Adam Grant recounts in his book, Think Again. Uh, but as they began to do tests, they found that, no, her vision was, in fact, severely impaired and deteriorating uh, to the point she could not tell if it was light or dark in the room, uh, was unable to recognize objects or faces or things, and yet insisted, it's just dark in here, I can see just fine. Uh, Dr. Anton remarked in his notes, uh, saying that eventually she became completely blind, said it was now extremely astonishing. The patient did not notice her massive and later complete loss of her ability to see. Well, this was in the late 1800s, and in the decade to come, they found more cases like this in what has now become known as Anton's syndrome, where a patient is uh, physically blind and yet claims to be able to see. And tests like this where patients will bump into objects, will not recognize faces, and yet uh, will say things like simply, it's, it just seems like it's dark in here. Can someone turn the lights on and are not recognizing that there is... Um, actually a visual impairment that has occurred with their condition. So this Anton syndrome, it's a very rare physical condition, but I would suggest it speaks to a very common as well spiritual condition. Today we're gonna see Jesus address the spiritual condition of those who claim to be able to see and yet are blind to who God is and what he is doing right in front of them. Uh, we're in John 9, so if you have your Bible and you wanna turn there, uh, and in this series in John, we're gonna to see today the Pharisees who are continually bumping into Jesus and seeing him as an obstacle and they're not recognizing the work of God at work in their midst through him. They're coming up with all sorts of excuses and deniability for why, uh, why but the, the irony here is that they find themselves before the light of the world, yet themselves in the darkness. Yet we also see in this passage, Jesus at the center is doing a profound miracle and that he is healing a blind man, a man who was born blind from birth. And one of the things that we see here is that John presents this as a sign, not only that Jesus can heal us physically and holistically, but that also that we need Jesus to open our eyes spiritually so that we can see him clearly for who he is, that we might see the glory of God. The title for the message today is, Now I See. Let's jump in, John chapter nine, verse one. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, the first thing we see here is that the disciples are looking backward, trying to figure out whose fault it is, and yet Jesus calls them to look forward, anticipating, God, what are you gonna do through this? We see the disciples are looking backward. They wanna assign fault or blame. They say, Jesus, who's, whose fault is it? Who sinned? Was it this man? Here in verse uh, two, they say, was it this man who sinned or was it his parents that he was born blind? They're looking backward and they're kind of going, man, Jesus, whose fault is this? And so they start with asking, is it his? Is it his fault? In the pop culture of Israel at the time, there was a view that uh, babies could sin even in the womb. Now, we don't necessarily see that in scripture, so I'm not sure what exactly that was. He was kicking mom's belly too hard or flipping off the ultrasound or I don't know what, all right? But they're going, did he do something before he was even born that caused this condition? They say, well, or maybe it wasn't him. They say, maybe it was his parents. Did they like cheat on their taxes that year or something? And this was the cost, right? And the disciples are doing what we all like to do when we see something tragic happen, something go wrong. We want to assign blame and go, who is at fault? We will look backwards to try and determine who caused it, who got it wrong, who messed this up, who was at fault. But Jesus, he flips the question. He says, you're asking the wrong question. And Jesus looks forward. Jesus says, uh, first off, Jesus doesn't play the blame game, right? He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents sinned. And he looks forward saying, it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus doesn't play the blame game, he plays God's fame game, right? Like, he doesn't look back and try and go, who's, in, who's at fault to, that, that led to this? He looks forward and says, God, how do you wanna be glorified in and through this situation? God, what do you wanna do in the midst of this condition that we find ourselves in? And Jesus is saying, essentially, there is a purpose for your pain. The purpose for your pain is the glory of your God. Now, I have to confess, I have found myself looking backwards and asking some similar questions to the disciples this last year. Uh, many of you know I shared uh, last fall that this last year I have gone blind in my right eye and uh, there was been some concern from the doctors that it could be uh, coming for the left eye as well. And in the midst of this, I'm, I'm gonna share an update a little later on, uh, later this morning on, on what God's done, but I wanna start a little bit with what some of that process even was like for me this last year. Where I found myself looking back and asking questions of causation, of who's at fault, of how did I get here and who's to blame, right? And so I found myself going back to an eye injury about a year ago and going, man, was that it? And if I had just avoided getting, boom, hit by that thing in the eye, if I just dodged or ducked and it hadn't happened, would, would that have changed things? Or maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was when I think I got COVID early last year. This was when things were just kind of starting and breaking out and uh, we didn't really know what was happening and, 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 and kind of like, and I've seen stuff about how COVID can impact the eyes and all. And so if I'm like, oh man, was it when I got COVID, if I just hadn't officiated that wedding or gone to that thing, was that it? Or 
Is it genetic? Is it my, my parents? Like my, my parents are at fault, right? Was it, was it my parents' fault? Did, did I get, get this and inherit this from them? Or maybe, uh, was it my eye doctor when I was a kid? I don't know how all this stuff worked. Did he overprescribe me or contacts or something weird, you know? And I found myself like going back and becoming almost obsessed with going, how did this happen? How did I get here? Who's at fault? What's to blame God? Why did this happen? And in the midst of that, however, what I've heard Jesus asking me throughout this year is, do you trust me? Kind of nudging my head and turning me to look forward and saying, Josh, do you trust me? Just going, yes, I, I know that you're scared. I know there are things to lament and grieve, kind of the loss in your one eye, and that's happened. I, I know that there's fear, fear of, man, are, are you not gonna be able to see your kids' faces? Are you not gonna be able to read or write or do things life the way that you're used to doing it now? I know that there's fear, and that's okay. It's okay to look back, to grieve the loss, and to get honest with some of the fears and all. But I found Jesus nudging my attention to look forward and say, do you trust me? as I walk with you into the future. And I gotta say, I found myself going, yes, like, like I do, and God peeling back some of the layers of realizing some areas that I, I haven't fully, maybe, I have areas that I'm like, man, actually, I don't know if my heart's there yet, so Jesus, I need you to peel back the layers and cultivate that trust in me, and getting to the point of going, Jesus, I do trust you, and moving from the what if to the even if. Moving from what if I go blind to even if I go blind, Jesus, I trust you. And I would say that the trust he has cultivated in my heart and my life over this year through the circumstances made me go, man, Jesus, it was worth it. It's worth it. Like, like even if, like the intimacy with you and walking with you and the, the end game is your presence. And if this has facilitated that, like it was worth it. And Jesus changed my question from going, looking back to like, who's at fault, who's blamed, to looking forward and going, God, what do you wanna do through this? God, what do you wanna teach me about yourself? God, how do you wanna reveal yourself? How do you wanna show up? Jesus, how do you wanna show up and work in the midst through this? Because reality is when we're looking backwards, I would say, on one hand, it's okay that they look back. They just didn't look back far enough. Like, yes, it wasn't just uh, this man or his parents. You can go all the way back to Adam and go, well, actually, they're, all of our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents in Adam sinned, and in Adam we've all sinned. Like, we've all kind of broken the world. We live in a fallen world, and crazy things happen. And Jesus goes, though, in the midst of that, I want you to look forward. I want you to look forward and say, Jesus how do you wanna work through this? God, how do you wanna reveal your glory in my life through this? And I know I'm not alone. I believe that there are some of you this morning that are perhaps looking back that Jesus wants to call you to look forward. You may find yourself looking back, going, who's to blame for man, that relationship that went south and soured? Was it my fault because I let us get too far too fast or was it theirs because they kind of turned and became a jerk and Jesus is going, hey, Look forward and start asking like, Jesus, how do you wanna reveal your glory in my life and through this? I know there's some of you also who are, who are dealing with 
physical conditions, chronic pain, things like that. And I find yourself going, man, uh, asking questions that are, are like, man, God, did I do something wrong or did I sin? Are you distant from me from that? Or was it like that drunk driver or that person who, like their fault that this, this happened? And Jesus is going, hey, you're asking the wrong question. I wanna turn your attention to going, looking forward and going, Jesus, how do you wanna show up in my life? How do you wanna reveal the glory of God through this? I think of a friend of mine who, uh, part of his story is uh, wrestling from a young age with being attracted to the same sex. And he says one of the challenges he had was that as he was a kid, as he was growing up later, uh, that a lot of people wanted to look back and try and assign blame, right? They wanted to kind of go um, like, hey, it's your fault. You're just choosing this. If you just stop choosing this, stop sinning. Is it his sin? And he's going, but I, don't, I didn't choose this. It's just kind of there. And, they go, and then they would kind of go, well, okay, well, it was your parents then. Like your parents, maybe they didn't raise you right or they did this thing wrong. And, and going, caught up in the blame game. And he said then, but Jesus showed up and he said, stop looking back. And he turned his attention to start looking forward and going, Jesus, how do you wanna show up? How do you wanna reveal your glory, your power, your presence in my life through this? And going, now I'm experiencing the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus in the areas that have been hard in my story. And I'm going, it's worth it. And for you, the areas that are hard in your life right now that you found yourself obsessing over the past, believe you can encounter, Jesus wants to encounter you in those places and his glory can be revealed through the cracks and the holes and the crevices in your life. And when he does, it is worth it to see the presence and the power of God show up in the tough and the wounded and the hard places of your life because Christ says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is enough for you. My grace is enough for you. He is enough for us today. I believe the deeper question, the question beneath the question for many of us is, God, do you see me? Do you hear my cries? Do you know what I'm going through? I know for me that's it's probably been the deeper question this year, and so I really love in verse one, where John opens this, where it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He saw him. And I find that powerful that Jesus sees him even when he can't see Jesus. Jesus sees you even when you can't see and it's significant that that phrase passed by, it's actually a common phrase in the Old Testament that's used for the glory of God, the glory of Yahweh passing by. The end of chapter eight, just the very last thing right before this was Jesus revealing himself saying, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the great I am. He is the glory of God drawn close to us as a people. And the beauty of the gospel is that the great I am sees you right where you are that Jesus sees you even when you feel like you can't see him. And he's moved close to us, he's drawn close to us in our condition in order to heal and restore and make us whole. Let's look and see what happens next. Verse six, <clears throat> having said these things, Jesus, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. It's kind of gross. <laughs> Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, can't you, anointed, and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. 
Now the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? It's Jesus. And he said, I do not know. The man's eyes are opened. Jesus opens the man's eyes, and it's kind of an interesting image. Jesus spits, you know, he spits in the ground, and he takes his saliva, and he makes some mud, and he puts it over the man's eyes. And that's, that's a strange thing to do, Jesus. Why are you making mud pies and putting them in the guy's face, right? Like, what is going on here? But this resembles, it sounds, it draws to mind the picture of Genesis 2, where God forms Adam from the clay, where he bends down and makes from the clay and the dust of the earth, he makes Adam, humanity. This is a picture of new creation that Yahweh has drawn close, the great I am has drawn close, and he is forming recreation, new creation, in the places where this guy's eyes and his sight are broken. Jesus next tells him, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam, the pool which means sent. And I believe we see here sacramental imagery, baptism imagery of going, hey, go and be washed in the waters and come out seen and sent by me as my emissary, my disciple. Place. It's interesting that Johnny uses the word here for anointed, that Jesus anoints the man. It's an image that you would use for christening someone, anointing them with the presence and power of God's spirit. But this man has been seen in church history as not only a picture of, um, wow, isn't that cool, look what Jesus did, but as a sign of what Jesus has come to do for us. That all of us in Adam, we are born in the dark, so to speak, that we are born spiritually blind, like unable to see God, bouncing against the walls, bumping up against obstacles in life, like hitting things, and, and even if we think, I got it figured out, even if we think we're close to God, like there's this distance, this alienation from God, and yet God has drawn close in Christ to recreate us, to heal what was broken, to make whole those parts of your life that don't feel like they're working, to actually draw close and work his transformative power. And it is a power that is both spiritual and emotional and physical. God is out to heal the whole shebang, right? Like he is out to heal that which sin has broken, which is the whole thing. And it makes me wonder, do we believe that Jesus has the power to heal? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to heal? Bumped into a friend about a week and a half ago, and um, this friend I hadn't seen in a while, and she was like, hey, can you tell Holly thank you? I was like, yeah, thank you for what? She's like, well, Holly used to always pray for me. And so uh, some years back, this friend had a debilitating physical condition uh, develop, and the doctors were like, hey, this is gonna be lifelong. It's gonna get worse and deteriorate over time. You're, you're facing a, a hard future. And so this was really hard. And so Holly and others would pray for her uh, regularly. And uh, people, as we were praying for her, she said, man, that just meant so much. And she's like, I have an update. She's like, October 24th. She's like, I, uh, well, backdrop. She's like, my brother, this guy also know, he's like, he started doing some research on our family line. 
and uh, on our family history. And he found that a few generations back, our grandmother or great-grandmother, someone had like put a generational curse on their grandma. There had been this family feud and there was this like witchcraft stuff involved, whatever. And the basic idea was, um, the curse was that all the women in her line would either die early or would uh, have debilitating illnesses. They'd either die young or have debilitating illnesses. And she looked back through their family line from this grandma and all the way down. And so they got some friends over and some friends praying around it, praying into it. And uh, she's like, and one of the other things that was happening this week as we were praying to do this prayer thing together was um, I'd started developing these facial seizures. And the doctor said, yeah, that's a sign this condition's getting worse and be prepared. It's probably gonna get soon where your face will just lock up in one of these uh, seizure positions, all right? And so she's like, I was scared about this and everyone was, you know, they were praying for me and I was having one of these seizures as they were praying and uh, they were praying the power of Jesus boldly, his healing presence, his power, and I felt something break and it was like this dark force thing, power like lifted up off my brain and floated away. And she's like, October 24th, healed, like done. I've been like, not just the seizures, facial stuff, but like my whole physical condition, like healed back to normal, back home. So tell Holly, thank you for praying for me. And it was awesome, and I was like, wow, well, can you pray for me? Because <laughs> I got this eye thing that developed, and I kind of walked through the story, and like, here's the deal. She's like, yeah, so her and her husband, a few friends are out, we're just out on the street corner, and they're, they're, they're praying for me. And, uh, and craziest thing, she's praying boldly, just because she's just healing. And afterwards, it's like, it's nighttime, so it's dark, but I'm like, I feel like I can see a little better right now, but I'm gonna wait. So next day, I wake up, and I look out in the light, I'm like, oh my gosh, my bad eye, like, there's loads more light, image and stuff coming through, and so I wait, and I go to the doctor uh, this week, and I'm like, hey, doc, what's going on, you know? And he's like, um, dude, this is crazy. You are seeing multiple lines down the eye chart better than you were before. Your progress had been going like this, 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 and now like this, boom, like, just like a, a leap. And I wanna say a little update. Thank you, you guys, for praying for me. I know... So many of you have been. I know so many of you guys have been praying for me. One of you, you know who you are, set aside a room in his house to pray for people in the church, all this other stuff. He's like, yeah, I pray for you five minutes a day. And I'm like, you're amazing, man. I'm not asking everybody. But like, but man, thank you for praying for me, for caring uh, for me in, in the midst of this. Is, you know, we wanna walk together as a community through the, the good stuff and the hard stuff together, and you guys have really done that with me, and I wanna say thanks. And to let you know and update you from last fall that uh, things have stabilized. The doctors said my, my good eye feels stable and secure. It's showing signs that they're not worried now about the condition coming for the, my good eye anytime soon, and the bad eye is showing improvement and progress and getting better, so thank you so much. But I wanna ask this, like, do we believe in Jesus' power to heal? Do you believe in Jesus' power to heal? Because we wanna be a community that presses boldly, powerfully into the presence of Jesus, going, Jesus, the reason that you went to the cross, this Good Friday, what we're about to celebrate, he went to the cross to take on our infirmity, our sickness, to take on your infirmity, your sickness, your emotional, your spiritual, your physical, all that sin has alienated and fractured and destroyed in the human race and in you. Jesus went to the cross to defeat the works of the devil and the enemy, and he has risen again in power, exalted over heaven and earth, pouring out his spirit with life-giving presence. So we want to seek him boldly and go, Jesus, we want your healing. We want it not just in part. We want the whole shebang. 
Jesus, we are pursuing you, going, we want to see you move in power amongst, in our midst as your people. We need to see you. We need your presence. Now, why, why don't we? I think there are some, you know, some reasons that, that we don't pray like that. I think one, at times, could be that we wanna protect God, right? We don't wanna pray like that because we wanna protect God if, if he doesn't answer that way, if he doesn't heal that way, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, we wanna give him an out. And so one of the things that Holly and I will, will call this is like the if it be your will prayers, right? And I wanna challenge this morning to stop praying the if it be your will prayers, right? And what I mean by that, you know these prayers. This is, these are the prayers where it's like, if it be your will, Lord God, would you please heal this thing? If it be your will, would you do this thing? And I, I think it's not that it's, it's, it's wrong to say if it be your will, right? But the idea is, I think often what's happening for us on a heart level is what we're implicitly saying is, God, I know you might not, I know you probably won't, I know, and so I wanna give you an out. I wanna create something that will protect your reputation if you don't. And what that really betrays is not a trust in God, it's a lack of trust. Like one of the things I love about my kids is they come up to me and they'll ask me for anything. Dad, I want a pony. <laughs> like, Dad, I want a rocket ship, you know? And they never come up to me and be like, Dad, if it be your will, like, I really like a pony, right? If it be your will. No, it's like, dude, they know I love them. They know I'm for them. And because of that, they'll just come before me and boldly ask what they want. And they know that if I don't give it, it doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean I'm not with them. It doesn't mean I don't care. Um, but because they trust in my love for them, they will boldly come before me and just ask for what they need. That's what they want. And sometimes I think we treat prayer more as a preamble than as power, right? Like we treat prayer as just, that's the thing we're supposed to do, so we're gonna kinda say the words, and then we'll get to the real stuff, right? Um, which is us kinda doing our work, and going, no, we wanna be a community that relies on the presence and the power of Jesus, and going, Jesus, we need our eyes open to see your glory, to see you exalted over all of heaven and earth, to see your victory, and to see you and trust you, and we wanna see you work in power in our midst. And so we wanna be a people of bold prayer. I know this can raise questions at times. Well, what, what if God doesn't answer? And uh, back in the fall, we did a sermon uh, called The Marathon. I would encourage you, you can go back and check that out. Uh, we dove more deeply into that. And the basic thing goes like the, what the resurrection of Jesus means is that it's not a question of if, but when, right? Because Jesus is risen from the grave, the question is not if God will heal, but when. Because resurrection's coming, healing's coming. And as we press into the power of Jesus today, sometimes we get advanced anticipations, foreshadowing signposts of that that reveal his glory by pointing to what he has promised to ultimately do. If we don't experience that today, it's not saying that we didn't, just didn't have enough faith or any of that, that kind of stuff, right? But we wanna be a people who press boldly into prayer and going, Jesus, you are alive. You said you'll never leave us or forsake us. We wanna... Stop getting caught up on who's to blame and start going, we wanna see your glory, the works of God revealed in our midst, in the midst of whatever conditions we're finding ourselves in. We wanna be a community, as I'm so grateful that you all have done with me, we wanna be a community that walks with each other, praying for each other. And I wanna ask, sometimes when people come to you and they tell you about the hard stuff they're going through, I got this happened or that happened or this person did this thing to me or this one, is your first response to commiserate or to bring it before Jesus? 
Could we be a people and a culture here at Redemption Tempe where when we got the stuff, tough stuff coming up and we bring it up, that our first flinch is to go, dude, can, can I pray for you? Let's bring that before Jesus together. Let's, let's pray for him. Let's pray to him boldly. Seek his face. Because ultimately through it all, what we really wanna see is him. We want our eyes open that we can see him. Okay, well, in our passage today, not everybody is happy about this healing. The Pharisees, they've got an issue because they see Jesus as a threat. And so uh, verses 13 to 23, they oppose this man and Jesus. They raise doubt. They're like, hey, is this, is this really the guy? And they even go and get his, his parents. They're like, is this really your son? Thinking, of course it's not. And parents are like, yeah, he's their son. <laughs> But it says they, even the parents, so they distance themselves from their son because they're afraid of getting, getting kicked out of the community, get out booted if they're identified with Jesus. So let's pick up here in verse 20, 24. The Pharisees. So for the second time, the Pharisees called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. Kind of already has. Right? They said, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I love his sass. He's got some sass. <laughs> and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper for God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The striking thing that we see here is that the Pharisees can't see Jesus. They can't see Jesus for who he is. This is ironic because the blind man could not see Jesus, and yet he heard his voice and trusted him, and Jesus opened his eyes. And yet the Pharisees could see Jesus, their physical eyes, and yet their hearts are sent against him, and they have become blinded to who he really is in their midst. Striking here in verse 34, it says they cast him out. They cast the man who had been healed of his blindness, out of their presence. And that phrase, cast out, that is the word that you use for a demon. They are treating the work of God in their midst in Christ like it is demonic and shoving it out of their presence. They are taking what Jesus has done and they are pushing it out from the synagogue, from the community. Uh, they're distancing him from his family by threatening his family with isolation and they are pushing him out 
from the community, from the festival, from the temple, from the presence, all that out of the light and the presence of the community and they're pushing him out into the darkness. Sometimes Jesus can heal one area of your life but make other areas even harder, right? Jesus has just opened this man's eyes but now he finds himself rejected by and isolated from his community and even his own family. And all because the Pharisees cannot see Jesus. Jesus' healing functions here both as restoration to the man, but also as a form of judgment on the Pharisees. Jesus goes on and he says in verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees claim to see, and yet Jesus declares that they are blind because they are missing the work of God at work in their midst. They're refusing to have their eyes, the eyes of their hearts spiritually open to perceive what God is up to around them. They have a spiritual version, as I mentioned earlier, of that Anton syndrome. And I found it interesting when I was reading this week about Anton syndrome, uh, some of the doctors from the 1800s who were working with these patients when this was first kind of being recognized as a condition, uh, the doctors wrote this in their journal about those who could claim to see but were actually blind. They say, quote, one of the most striking features is the behavior of our patients was their inability to learn from their experiences. As they were not aware of their blindness, when they walked about, they bumped into the furniture and walls but did not change their behavior. When confronted with their blindness in a rather pointed fashion, they would either deny any visual difficulty or remark, it's so dark in the room, why don't they turn the light on? I forgot my glasses, or my vision's not too good, but I can see all right. The patients would not accept any demonstration or assurance which would prove their blindness. We see something similar in the Pharisees here, where they are bumping into Jesus, they are bumping into him as an obstacle, and no matter how much demonstration of his power, how much signs of who he is, how much, uh, the, the more the movement grows, the more the things grow that would reveal the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the more hardened and obstinate they become. The more it's revealed how much they, they don't know what they don't know, right? The more it starts to reveal how much they don't know, the more they claim to see and be in charge and set themselves against him. I believe there is a warning here for those of us who would claim to see and yet be blind to Jesus and who he is, right? That we need Jesus, you need Jesus to open the spiritual eyes of our hearts so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ and the salvation that he has come to bring. I wonder if there are any of us here this morning that maybe you found yourself bumping into obstacles left and right, but you keep on making excuses going, I got this, I'm all right. I can do this on my own. Maybe you're here because a friend invited you, maybe you've been exploring church, or maybe you've grown up in the church, and yet it's just been kind of the comfortable routine. 
But when it comes to Jesus himself, going, I can't, I can't see him. And the danger is that we start to harden ourselves and make excuses and become more obstinate. And the danger is pretending that you don't know what you don't know, right? Or pretending that you know what you don't know and thinking that, dude, I got this figured out. I got this on my own. I can do this. Jesus, that, that, he can become almost an obstacle and a threat. And the invitation is going, Jesus is going, hey, all you need for me to remove the blinders is to acknowledge your condition. That the invitation this morning, if, if that's you, if you're in a spot where you're going, I've been, actually, I'm here, I've been resistant to Jesus, I've been holding off, the good news is, it's not about you fixing yourself, it's about acknowledging that you need him to help you. Right? Jesus says here, the reason I came, I love to take those who know that they're blind and remove the blinders so that they can see. And yet, those who claim to see on their own, claim to stand on their own two feet, claim to have all the gaze and vision, everything they need, my presence becomes an obstacle and it reveals that internally in the eyes of their heart, there's a blindness there. The beauty of the gospel though is that God has come, that we might not only see physically with our eyes, but with all our lives that we might see him, the glory of God. I love, uh, I want us to take one final look here at, at the man who was healed, though his story. There's something really powerful that we see in him. In verse 25, it's 25a, the simplicity of his story. He says this, when he's being confronted and opposed and all this, he says, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That in the face of opposition, I love the simplicity of his story. It's just going, I know this, I was blind and now I see. There is simplicity in his story. The Pharisees here are asking in this passage, they're asking him a lot of tough questions. They're going, hey, how does this match up with the Sabbath? How does this match up with Moses and all these things? And this guy, he doesn't have any apologetics training, right? Like he's never read the Bible because he can't read, he can't see, right? And Man, he's, he's heard the story though and he knows the way God works and he talks about that here and he's going, um, you guys have got all the fine-tuned arguments and whatever else. He's like, I, I'm sim uh, this may sound simple, but I was blind and now I see and that's what I got, right? There is power in the simplicity of your story. I believe there are some of you here this morning who feel like, man, I, 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 before I'd be able to share my faith, before I'd be able to talk, I, I, need the, I need to go to Bible school or I need to get those classes or I need to jump into this, reread these books and get these things. And Jesus is going, no, all, all you really need is the simplicity of your story. Revelation, it says the saints, what did they overcome by? They overcame not, not with their fine, eloquent arguments, not with all the details and research they'd done, not with all that stuff. None of that stuff is bad, but what they, at the core, what they overcame by, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's all you need is the blood of Jesus and your story. I love that I've seen over the years that often those who are the most like energetically transparent about their faith are when, you, when you're new to Jesus, right? You're just going, man, I need him, right? Like you're aware you haven't gotten cynical or jaded yet. You haven't gotten, but right, and you're just going, man, I just, I need Jesus. And will we all become like a childlike in our faith to just going, man, I need Jesus. Here's where I was and here's where he showed up and here's where he brought me, right? 
Here's who I was, here's who I am. And we see in this man that he's got a strong before and after. Like earlier in verses eight to nine, the neighbors are asking, is this even the same guy, right? Like, like some are going, this can't be the same guy. And others are going, no, it is. And there's division, there's controversy. And they, they, they can't settle it. So they gotta go get his parents. And they're like, okay, mom and dad, you should know. Is this the same guy? Like, yeah, that's him. But, uh, well, did Jesus heal him? Well, he's of age, ask him, because we don't wanna get messed up, right? There's this whole controversy in question because of the shock of what he looked like before and what he looks like after, right? And I wonder, how is your before and after? How is your before and after? Now, hear me, when I, when I say, I'm not saying that you've gotta have this extreme story of like, you know, I was strung out on drugs and I was in a gutter and uh, my life fell apart, I made a nuclear bomb and I, I don't know, whatever, like how extreme you gotta go, you know? And, and then, I'm not saying that you gotta have like the crazy, wild, whatever story, but what I am saying is, what is the difference that Jesus has made in your life? Is there a before and after? Can you look at your life and go, dude, if I had never encountered Jesus, if he wasn't in my life, would everything still just look the same? Or what kind of difference has he made? Who is the hero in your story? When you tell your story, does it tend to be like, yeah, I, I didn't get everything right, but I kinda got myself together, did this program, worked through this stuff, I don't know, cleaned up my, Finances, my house, got everything pulled together. Like, it, are you the hero in your story? Or is Jesus? Because the power of the gospel is on display when we're able to see, I was a mess. <laughs> I didn't have, I don't have everything figured out, but Jesus met me. I encountered his goodness, his grace. And he's changing everything. He's changing everything. Here is uh, one of the craziest things to me about this man, is that he hasn't even seen Jesus yet. He hasn't seen Jesus yet. And you might hear that and go, no, Joshua, like, Jesus opened his eyes. He saw Jesus when he opened his eyes. He said, well, go back a few steps. You go back in verse five and six. How did Jesus heal him? put this mud on his eyes, right, he still can't see. And he tells him, hey, go wash in that pool. The pool of Siloam was about a half a mile from where they're standing when he says that. So he's gotta get his friends, probably go help him get to the pool, wash, and when he comes out, he can see, but Jesus isn't there. How do you testify to the power of someone that you've never seen? And I think the reality is you and I, we find ourselves in a position much like this man who was healed. Because so I don't know about you, but I still haven't seen Jesus face to face yet, right? Like I haven't seen Jesus face to face yet, and yet, can you hear me when I say I've seen him? I've seen him. Like this man, we have heard his voice. Like this man, we have encountered his presence. Like this man, we have seen the impact that he has brought in our lives. So how you testify to someone you haven't seen is you share about the impact they've had on your life. Power in your story of what Jesus has done through his word, his voice, through his presence, his spirit. And the reality is we are a community whose testimony is that we were in the dark 
We were bumping into things. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were made for. And yet Jesus showed up and he opened our eyes. And now this week, as we head towards Good Friday and Easter, what we are celebrating is that Jesus went to the cross to identify with us in the darkness and to raise in glory, to pull back the veil so that we could see and encounter the beauty and the glory and the presence of God. I love and we'll land on this. This man who still as yet has not seen Jesus. And in verse 35, that changes. He said, Jesus heard that they'd cast this guy out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus is like, I'm standing right in front of you. <laughs> he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The day is coming, church, when we will see Jesus face to face like this man does. There is a time now when we have heard his voice, we have encountered his presence, but we have not yet seen him face to face. But the beauty of the gospel is that day is coming. The beauty of the gospel is we get anticipations, foreshadowings of that, even now, the not yet of God's kingdom breaking into the now through the presence, power of Jesus. The day is coming when all our infirmities and our sickness and our wounds, physical, emotional, spiritual, will be healed and made right and restored by our maker. The day is coming when we will have that beatific vision where we will see him face to face that now that we see through a glass darkly, then we will see the face of love in Christ face to face. And like this man, we will fall down and we will worship him. So we wanna take some time right now and step into prayer. I wanna invite you to listen to the spirit of God, listen for the voice of Jesus and bring before you where you are this morning. There are a couple different places you might be. I think there may be some of you who are going, God, I have been closing my eyes to you. Don't close your eyes to Jesus, right? This morning, I invite you to just pray. If, if, you're, if you're in a spot where you've been closing your eyes to him, you would just acknowledge the simplicity of acknowledging your condition and asking him for a vision of who he really is, to see him as he is. There may be others this morning. You may be at a spot where, dude, it's, it's sickness, illness, finances, conditions, something that's just racking your life apart. And you're going, God, I don't know what to do. And it might be changing the questions. Jesus, how do you want to reveal your glory through this in my life? God, how do you want to work through it? I may be a prayer for healing this morning. You can pray personally in a minute when we go to worship. There are gonna be people at those prayer doors who would love to pray with you in person if you want to go to them for prayer. Let's take a moment here, seeking the face of Jesus and listening for his voice together in prayer. Would you join me? Jesus, you are the light of the world. And so God, we come to you acknowledging that we need you, God, to open our eyes and see you as you truly and fully are. And God, we want to take some time right now, God, to confess any physical condition, any spiritual condition, anything that we may be going through. We bring that before you now. And God, we Pray, Holy Spirit, that you administer to your people. We want to create space to listen for you, our King.
Jesus, thank you, you are, you are good. And I thank you that you see us even when we don't see you. God, I thank you that you are powerful. Walk with us. Move in our midst as your people. Amen. Well, as we come to communion now, I wanna invite you to take the elements that are there if you're a follower of Jesus. This meal is for you. And we start with the bread. And this bread is a sign of Christ's body given for us as Christ went to the cross and ultimately went into the tomb that Jesus, the light of the world, entered the darkness in order that he might pull back the blinders and allow us to be reconciled and see the glory of God again. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you may take the bread and receive that now. And next we take the wine or the juice, a sign of Christ's blood shed for us. And uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to take and receive the wine, a sign of his life poured out for you. Well, I wanna invite you to stand as we now enter a time where we wanna be like that man in this passage who, when he was not only able to see physically, but ultimately when he's able to see Jesus, what does he do? He says, he falls down and he worshiped him. We wanna be a community that worships Jesus, the light of the world, who's come for our salvation, and that we sing together our story, though once we were blind, now we see, we've encountered the glory of God. Let's worship him.